I am Pam Partington, and this is my podcast, Never a Dull Friend. I've got a better podcast opening coming at you, but for sake of just getting it out there, this is it for now. So come sit down, be a fly on the wall, and listen to some of the cool conversations I have with my friends. Learn how to human a bit. So let's get to it. Hi, I'm Pam, and this is Never a Dull Friend. I'm so excited to have the guest I have on today. He's a risk taker, entrepreneur, and adventurer who has traveled the world, been a walking tour guide, got kicked out of Spain, <laughs> dropped out of clown school, and hosted a cooking show with grandmas around the world. He's got a passion for turning creative ideas into successful ventures and growing and maintaining connections with people from different cultures. He's also one hell of a dancer and one of my most interesting friends. No further ado, I give you my friend, Eric Dotson. Welcome Good to morning. the pod. Buenos dias. Buongiorno. Consabai di mi cap. We're so happy to have, well, I'm so, I'm acting like me and Howie, my dog, the podcast host, Howie doesn't talk on the talk podcast, but he's here to support us too. We're here. We're happy to have you. Oh, thanks so much for having me. I'm grateful to be considered interesting by you. <laughs> and uh, I, I think that I'm probably your most interesting friend, but I guess I need to listen to all the podcasts and you see are what the, your other friends are up to. You know, you are the third, you actually the third podcast I'm uh, recording because I started this last month and um, I'm trying to do two a month, it, which is like, you know, getting around people's schedules and it might just turn into one a month because that might be more doable. But yeah, I, I thought of you because I'm like, man, you every time I see you, you have a, a different story. Like You're such a good storyteller, but you're like, oh, this is this is a real life thing that happened to you. <laughs> I always thought that I would tell these stories to my grandkids, but I don't even think I'm going to have kids. So I'm not sure I have to just keep them on your podcast because I got no future generations to enjoy this. <laughs> You know, that's, I mean, it's, I'm, I, I'm happy to be that platform for you. <laughs> Thank you. I actually, I have told so many people about like the fact that you're going to be on, I'm like, oh, I have this friend and I want to, would you mind talking about the clown school thing in Mexico? Because yeah. yeah. people are like, wait, what? That's something you can do. Like what inspired you to do that? Like, can you talk a little bit about that? For sure. Well, I lived in Spain from 2007 to 2009 in Barcelona and all of my roommates there were Mexican and they were from Mexico there to study clowning in Barcelona. And they were from this long line of clowns, like multi-generation clown family, wow. which is amazing. And circus performers, like these guys, I they showed me videos of them in Mexico, like performing with their uh, great grand clowns with their grandparents for real. That's awesome. And this, and these historic theaters that were like hundreds of years old, it was amazing. So all that time that we were in Spain, my Mexican roommates were telling me, hey, bro, when you get tired of Spain, like you're always welcome in Mexico. So when I got kicked out of Spain, I sent them a message. I said, hey, does the offer still stand to join your clown posse? <laughs> and I went to lived in Mexico from 2009 till 2011. And um, I lived at that historic theater in Querétaro, Mexico, which is about three hours north of Mexico City. That's so cool. How did you end up becoming roommates with those people? Were you put there like through living there? Well, were they, was it like a Craigslist thing? I mean, I guess Craigslist is around the world. Yeah, it was the Spanish version of Craigslist, which was called Loquo, um, okay. no longer around. You know, Spain was very expensive at that time because the euro was a lot more powerful than the dollar and really powerful against the Mexican peso. So we were in a pretty cheap flat, you know, okay. 
Like we couldn't afford much. So there was a lot of us all crammed into a tiny apartment. They would always make Mexican food. You clown and, around. <laughs> and clown around. One time I was taking a nap. This is like every person's worst nightmare. When I tell people this, people say, I would just die if that happened to me. So I was taking a nap and I thought I heard something and I opened my eyes and there was just a clown's face hovering right over me, like six inches away from my head. Oh, painted up with a red nose. Oh my God. It was just my roommate messing with me. Did did they, was it pretty common in your, your, uh, clown your clown house um i'm just gonna call it the clown house was it common for you guys to prank each other oh definitely and i didn't speak spanish that well at that time so i was usually the butt of jokes everyone conspired to mess with the gringo you know with the american oh my gosh you're probably good sport about it though yeah that was the best way to learn spanish is like to have the impetus to want to to be able to defend yourself and fight back and everything but no these guys are great uh, friends of mine and we'll always be friends do you guys still stay in contact absolutely i just went and visited them again a few months ago are they still clowns oh yeah multi-generations but, so did their did their um relatives teach at this clown school um they had received a grant from okay. the mexican government to go study at this very famous clown and circus school in spain So the Mexican government was actually paying for these clowns to go. And that's the amazing thing about Mexico, I have to say. It's like here in America, everyone's just looking at a screen. Theater is kind of a dead art, Mm -hmm. sadly. Um, You don't see that much live performance here. Most people just can't wait to get home and turn on Netflix and watch their phone at the same time, like double screen. You know what I'm going to say? I'm guilty of doing that. And I hate Mm -hmm. that I do that because I'm just like, why do I have to be, um, I'm I'm being double, like- Mm -hmm stimulated and I don't need to be right you now and and it's one of those things where I think we all do it and we oh yeah we're not con- we're the scary thing is we're like not it's like so just uh what's the is subconscious we're yeah. subconscious we're just doing it um uh-huh. automatically automatically is probably yeah. and the intention's not really on either one yeah like what it, <laughs> it makes it in- a very different idea on um if you're a performer, you you think maybe is mm-hmm. someone actually even paying attention, even an actor, right? right. Are you paying attention right. to what I have to say? <laughs> and in Mexico on Sunday afternoon, it was just so cool that you just don't see in America. You go to the main historic center of the city and you go to the historico, Centro Historico and you go to the plazas and every corner of these squares, these plazas has a different clown. And there are hundreds and hundreds of people just watching these clowns. And they are so good at their jobs. And, you know, after their show, they go around with their hat and they collect tips. And if you're walking through the square and you walk through the clown's like sphere, oh, they will make fun of you so bad. They will like follow behind you with their little whistle, like impersonating how you walk. And I, oh man, I got made fun of all the time. I was an easy, easy joke. Is clown, did clowns start in Mexico? Like no. how come it's so big? Like it's like a, it seems, cause I, I feel like I America's made, it's like you're, it's a children's mm-hmm. thing, but now it's kind of like become something that because of them being used in like horror movies and stuff, mm-hmm. like a lot more kids are afraid of clowns. Oh yeah. Days. No, um, it didn't start there. But what I think about uh, Mexico is they love to laugh and their, their sense of humor is very slapstick. Like it doesn't have to be all like here in America, it's all like ironic, heady, 
uh, awkward, we like the office kind of style stuff. Mm -hmm. But in Mexico, it's exactly the opposite. Like just slapping across someone across the face with a big old glove is still funny. Like Three Stooges style. Yeah, Three Stooges style. Like Mexico still has that. And um, honestly, it's it's the best. Do you, since you've been a well-traveled person, is the sense of humor more wholesome? Have you, what's the difference in sense of humors in the countries that you've oh, been in? Yeah. You know, like people in Spain did not really think I was very funny. Then again, my Spanish wasn't as good at that time, but in Mexico, I'm like funnier than I am in any country. Like, <laughs> dude, seriously, like I'll have the entire taco stand. Like everyone's there. It's like two in the morning. Everyone's just standing in the street eating tacos. And I will like have the entire audience just like laughing so hard. Like, what are you doing? Are you like, just like hitting, like falling down? Oh <laughs> no. I'm usually making fun of myself. That's the best way to like make friends and show them like that you don't take yourself too seriously. Cause mm -hmm. often they think, Oh, this foreigner, like, what does he think of Mexico? So like the first thing I do is I make, I self-deprecate. I humiliate myself. I make a joke at my own expense. And then that really warms up people to you in any country. If you can make fun of yourself, then you're not a jerk. Yeah, because I think far too often um, Americans can have, I mean, obviously everyone has a different stereotype of an American mm -hmm. or someone of a different, mm -hmm. any different right. culture. Um, and so it's, I think if you can form some sort of empathy of like, oh, they're a real person. Exactly. Know? Like exactly. having a little bit more vulnerability and empathy is nobody likes a stuffy person who's full of himself <laughs> um, i finally moved out of like i moved out of the clown school because there were believe it or not there's a lot of drama in the clown world a lot of clown <laughs> drama like man i have never seen people fight like i saw like multi-generations of clowns like families like how do clowns fight oh um you know yelling at each other at the top of their lungs I'm the most talented. You're just riding on my coattails. Oh. Like they were, they could really let into each other. I mean, they're family, they're <laughs> family. So, you know, families, like it's not all like subdued and passive aggressive. Like it can be in America, like in Mexico, they really let each other have it. I appreciate like, that. I appreciate so much about um, like Greek, Italian, mm -hmm. Hispanic cultures, because I come from like the passive aggressive Irish oh, Catholic right, culture right. where like, it's just like a, a, a statement like we call them hit and runs, or at least my family does. Yeah. Where it's just like in, in when I see these cultures blow up at each other, I'm like, oh my God, they're actually expressing their emotions yeah. and getting it out there. They're not bottling it up and having it become a like a suppressed volcano mm -hmm. for later. So I appreciate that, even though it's probably yeah. not always fun to be part of. Yeah, it's like the clowns couldn't live with each other, but they couldn't live without each other. It's like they they argue passionately, but they also love passionately, you know, mm -hmm. like they like more likely to give each other hugs than the average American family, more likely to like just really be there for each other. Like there's not so much distance in a Mexican family. Like in America, like if American child who's 22 tells his mom, like I got a job across the country in Los Angeles, his mom's gonna be like, congratulations. But in a Mexican family, if you tell your mom, like I got a job, you know, like 18 hours away from here, she's gonna be like, why would you leave us? Oh, they feel so loved. It's they feel so loved. That's amazing. Oh, yeah, families are very close, and they even directly say that Mexican families say like, it's not like in the United States where you go and send your parents to go live in an old person home when they get older. Like everybody's together, and that can create for more fighting and more drama. 
But in the end, you know that your family has your back 100% while here in America, it's not guaranteed. Yeah. You know, why do you think that they're, that it's like that? Yeah, I think it's just, you don't give up on people. Like, that's Mm -hmm. not even a question. You know, like if someone has a mental illness or a drug addiction, like you still keep them close. But here in America, um, I think that most people, if someone in their family has a drug addiction, they like push them farther away. And 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 I'm not saying that's good or bad. You know, like we often need space from toxicity. But in, um, you know, in Mexico, they keep them close. Well, I mean, you so you you spent time because um, I want to touch mm-hmm. touch on this because this was such a big part of your life. Um, so all of you guys don't know this, but Eric would spend how I met Eric was he lives in Portland. He would do like what, like four, how many months in Five Portland? Five months a year in Portland. Like yeah, May, he, to, May to September. He had a walking tour, like did walking tours of Portland. They were comedic walking tours. So they were pretty yeah. interesting. And he, he did that um, here, stayed in Portland for the best times of the year. And then the other half, um, the other times of the year, you, you would go somewhere for most of the time it was Mexico or Colombia. Or um, Thailand. Or Thailand. Yeah. And he cooked with grandmas. Mm-hmm. So did you, do you still keep up with any of the grandmas that you've cooked with? Yeah. Like some of them are, and I are friends on Facebook. Often their grandchildren were the ones who introduced me to them. So mm-hmm. I see like updates through their family, you know, that I'm in contact with on social media. Some of them, man, it's been 10 years since and they were old when I filmed with them and they're still around, still cooking, like in their late nineties. That's oh, incredible. That. Like the Mexican dedication to cooking for the family, like even when they're like in a wheelchair and practically bedridden, they'll still be like stirring the beans, you know? My grandma, she lived till 102 and did live alone, like lived alone by herself in a, she lived in a really awesome old folks community in Florida that wasn't, it was not a nursing home, but it was just a 55 plus community where they had a pool and all, like they all were there for each other. It was a very amazing space to be in when you're old. And she lived alone till she was 96. And I do think that independence of not having to be put into this place, it did make her, it did extend her life because as soon as she had to be put into, she was falling a lot and Mm -hmm. just, she was going to need 24 hours just to, she was just falling all the time. And so um, she had to be put into a home at that point. But uh, after that, she she just like her health declined. So it's so interesting. Mm -hmm. The longer you can have like, that purpose. that purpose yeah to cook yeah. The, to stir the beans if you will yeah yeah it's in mexican culture like they don't need to look for the purpose like mexican women like older women um of course the new generations are changing modernizing but older mexican women they have a purpose it's to feed their family and once they finish one meal they clean up and they start making the next one like wow and often those recipes like moles and salsas, quesadas, take a long time to make. So they're cooking for big families used to be like, you know, 10 kids. So it took a long time to prepare that much food. Do they eat leftovers there? Yeah, now they do. Yeah. I was just wondering if that was even like a thing. It's just, and so it's families interesting. aren't as big as they used to be, you know, no, but people don't have 10 kids anymore. First of all, you couldn't afford to pay for that. Like, and also like now we have more birth control options. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's crazy to think like my grandma came from like a family of nine and mm-hmm. in a small, and the grandparents, her grandparents lived with her and yeah. growing up like in a tiny house in the South side of Chicago, like the mm-hmm. Irish immigrant families. 
And it's, I just think about, wow, you shared rooms with probably like four of your siblings and you had Mm. this feeling of like connection with your family. And I always think about the fact that that connection really helps you form, like get relationship skills with your friends. And what do you have any, if I'm interested in the contrast, like I love this comparison contrast to like, you know, Mexico and America that we're doing right now. Yeah. The, like, what is the, the diet, the friend, like, how is it making friends in Mexico versus America where you grew up? Well, I'll say, actually, I want to do a comparison and contrast of making friends between Spain and Mexico. Okay, and, great. And say that America is somewhere in the middle between the two, but check this out. Spain's a little hard to make friends. Like my Mexican friends, when we lived in Spain together, pointed this out to me. And this is very true. When you go to a bar by yourself in Spain, the Spanish people that are there are like, hmm, what's wrong with that guy? Why is he alone? You know, and it kind of makes it you kind of like an outlier, like maybe why don't they have friends? You know, you're weird. But in Mexico, on the other hand, total opposite. My friends told me this. They said in Mexico, if you go to a bar alone, people say, what's wrong with that guy? Why is he here alone? Like, get over here, like join our group. And they told me that before I ever went to Mexico. And it was true. It was so easy. People are in those small Spanish people are like, yeah, we know Spain is great. Mm. Right. Of course you're here, like all the other tourists. But in Mexico, in Colombia and in Thailand, these smaller, like less wealthy countries that are less stuck up and spoiled, when someone from America, which is where Hollywood is from, you know, like when someone comes to their country and loves their culture, it really means a lot to them. Mm. And they love to see their own culture through our eyes. Oh, that's cool. Through the eyes of a foreigner. So that's why Mexican people were actually my biggest viewers of my cooking show and cooking with grandmas because they loved my interpretation of their culture. That's, yeah, that's cool. Whenever there's um, a Latino star that gets big, like I'm sure Mm -hmm. that's kind of, it's like, but there's also, it's a representation of them and being like, oh, I'm accepted by this culture. Totally. Yeah, which is important. they see their culture like on the red carpet, you know, something that they didn't think that Americans liked. Suddenly Americans are embracing. So they're very proud of that. There's a box Mexican American boxer right now who doesn't even speak Spanish, but his family's from Mexico. I think his name is Ryan Garcia. Mm-hmm. And Mexico is like so proud of him, even though this young man has never lived in Mexico and doesn't speak Spanish like he's Mexican. So to them, they're just so excited that he's winning all these fights and is one of the most famous boxers in America. I mean, I think it's really easy. We take for, or I should say, like, I take for granted the fact that that's always been something I saw growing up. Like I was, I'm just like a privileged white person that always saw that represented. And it's so cool now, especially Disney's made more of an effort. I know that that new um, live action Little Mermaid is actually a black woman, which is really cool. Um, And then like, yeah, Encanto. Did you like Encanto? Uh, I haven't seen it, but everyone's telling me to watch it. It's really they good. They say it's real tearjerker. Oh, it is. Yeah. Um, I, I felt like wait. I love the fact I love the fact that Disney's done more things about just family dynamics and people like having strong female figures, so yeah. that girls don't have to feel like I have to have I have to be dumb and have a a prince save yeah. me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. It's definitely changing. I mean, I know a lot of that was like Hans Christian Andersen and just fairy tales in general, which fairy tales mm-hmm. are just like old fairy tales are scary as hell. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. 
because they're supposed to be. <laughs> yeah. Well, old Europe was scary as hell. <laughs> I wouldn't want to live hundreds of years ago in Europe or anywhere oh. in the world. Like people complain about how dangerous it's getting today. And don't get me wrong, like some sketchy stuff happens, but compared to medieval times or the dark ages or ancient <laughs> times, we live very peaceful lives with not too much of a threat of violence. Very lucky to live in the age that we live in. Like mm -hmm. people complain a lot. People they complain. do. And don't get me wrong. There's things that are not fair. But when you think about what it was like not that long ago, um, we're very fortunate. What is, I love this question. I ask people this question, not just on the podcast. I don't think actually, I shouldn't say that. I haven't asked it on the podcast, but what's something you're grateful for like today or um, just in honestly, general? I'm grateful for freedom of religion. Like there's still countries today where if you go against the state's chosen religion, like in say Pakistan, you can just be killed. Like even mm -hmm. if it's not proven, like you don't get a trial. Like someone can just say like, I heard them you know, it's talking badly about our religion and just a mob of people will come and grab you and kill you. So, I mean, that's, it's still the dark ages today on planet earth. There's it's still religious intolerance. And like, I don't actually have a religion. I'm an atheist who likes to study um, the teachings of Buddha and meditation, et cetera. But I'm just lucky that I get to do that without getting burnt at the stake. It's Yeah. We take, I have to remember so much that we have, like, I get to have a bank account mm -hmm. and a, like, I didn't realize that it wasn't that long ago that women, women didn't have bank accounts in the 1940s, I think. Oh yeah. That's why women had to, that's why it's, it's so funny when relatives, mm -hmm. and I know that you get this question from being like a single person, not married yet, but when you have older generations asking you what, why you're not married, it's just like back in the day, they had to get married in order to continue to oh, like live because sure. they didn't have yeah. like financial independence. And I exactly. think one of the biggest things is that like women have choice so mm -hmm. they don't have to get married because they can make mm -hmm. money on their own. Yeah. And it's just so interesting how that's fucked up the system that way. But I, I just think about that. I, that's like something I'm grateful for. I'm like, Oh, I'm grateful that I don't have to just settle with some like person just so that I can have a home and like not live on oh, yeah. a street, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Like today it's so interesting. Like we want our our partner to be like our soulmate, to fulfill us. We have this list of criteria. Well, 200 years ago, the criteria was like, he has a horse, he reads the Bible, he has a farm and he doesn't beat me up too much. Okay, he's a great guy, you know? Those are the standards that men had to live up to. Yeah. <laughs> and now it's like, do you go to therapy? <laughs> do you yeah. know about yourself? Like, have uh, you done the work? Yeah. Oh man. Dating today, it's like people have very high expectations of how you're going to fill their cup. Yeah, it's so interesting. I always, I'm starting to realize when I've taught, especially when I talk to certain people about it, I'm start, I'm starting to realize you're not ready to date. Like when I talk oh, to yeah. certain, yeah. you know, girlfriends of mine, I'm like, you're asking these like things that you're, and I've been caught to, I'm not like just blowing off or blowing out other people there, but, mm -hmm. um, you know, being like, oh, well, they don't do this or they don't do that. And it's like, you do know that that's a pretty picky, like someone's not going to be perfect. Yeah. Like you're not perfect. Like, it's just like, I'm For not sure. perfect. You can't expect someone else to check every box. So maybe you need to reevaluate if you actually want to mm -hmm. be in a relationship with somebody. Yeah. It's those dating apps are very symbolic. We usually, you know, swipe left, you know, people were very easy to just throw someone out of our screen, ghost on them. You didn't check all my boxes. 
I'm not saying that anyone should settle, but we we throw things away very quickly now. Like kind of like we change shows on Netflix, like 10 minutes into it, we're like, eh. Like back in the days of Blockbuster, you rented a movie, you took that movie home and if you didn't watch it, there wasn't anything else. But not that far later, now you have thousands and thousands of shows on Netflix. You can watch a few, I never finish anything. I'm always like, eh, next, a very low attention span. And that's how it is with dating these days too. Oh, 100%. I actually just did something because that's why the apps are really difficult for me is because Mm -hmm. I'm just, I think, man, there's so much, it's just the grass is always greener, right? And you end up having, like getting a pen pal on it that's not actually taking action to want to have a date with you because they're talking, they're always talking to multiple people. Right. But I did a speed dating event in Portland, which was really cool. It was like great and it was efficient. Well, it was just- it was, mm-hmm. it was, and it wasn't a lot of people actually. It was like six women, six men. It was, you got 10 minutes with each person. And at was the there end, an age, age cap or? Yeah, it was between 30 and 41. Okay. Um, I'm going to another one that's going to be 33 to 45, but they have different, this is like a group in Portland that puts this on. How much, and how much did it cost? Um, So they, I had, there was a deposit. They, so it was, it was 49, but this next time it was only, they took off the deposit part because you got money back because they want to hold people accountable to not ditch it. So yes. this next time it's like $21 or something. Um, so people have actually have to invest and want to do this, but I, I, like got two, I got two dates out of it actually. Um, oh, cool. And, but the thing that was, the thing that was good about, there was kind of good and bad things that like with an app, you're like, I am attracted to that person. Like looks wise, yeah. you can curate the person you are visually attracted to. Right. But with the speed eating, you show up. Yeah. You don't know. And, but you do, but you, again, you get to see them talk. You get to hear their voice. You get to, Mm -hmm. they give you a prompt. um, You get to smell them. (laughs) I mean, I guess that's important, right? It is important. (laughs) Like there's some dating service where you smell someone's shirt to like, they sleep in the shirt for a few nights and then they like turn it into the baggie. And like the first thing you do before you meet them is you just like, see if you have a hormone connection. That's really cool. Yeah. Have you done it? No, I haven't. <laughs> so, I mean, it's cool, but it's also kind of weird too, you know? Also, also, have you heard about speed dating in China? No, tell me about Dude, it. It's not six people for 10 minutes each. It's like 600 people for 30 seconds each. It's Whoa. in a giant like football stadium or, you know, soccer stadium. So literally there's thousands of people there. Everyone has like playing cards, like baseball cards that have your stats on there, your height, your salary, your education, if you own your own home, how much debt you have. And they're all passing out these like baseball cards. And you like move from chair to chair to chair very quickly handing out your baseball cards. But here's the craziest part. Behind your seat are two seats for your parents. So the parents go with you. And the parents go and like hand out baseball, your cards and your stats. They're like your agent. They're your agents. I mean, I guess for, I don't know too much about Chinese culture, so I don't want to miss misspeak on it, but that seems like a really good way to, it seems like how, like, cause I know a lot of Chinese parents want to be involved in like, uh-huh. you're going to have, you're going to have like a good partner that's going to like take care of you. Um, yeah. But that's so intense. I think I'd probably, and I, I had a hard enough time getting to know somebody in 10 minutes. Yeah. I will say I'm going to another one, but 
the thing that was interesting about it was it was just a good way to get out and talk and, and exercise conversation skills. And Absolutely. the problem with that though, was there was a, it attracted a lot of um, three out of the six guys were re- like, I think one might've been autistic and two mm. others were just very socially awkward. And just, you could mm. tell that this was probably one of the hardest things that they had to do that does not come naturally to them. Um, but the nice thing about it that's no pressure is you're not allowed to exchange your yeah. contact information at the end. And no one's actually, there's not a person moderating that's physically there. It's all mm. through a text. So wow. you, this person, so this, that you get a text that tells you like what your dating schedule is. And when you come, when you get there, you, you text this person, this like the, the organizer, like the, like what you, what you're wearing, like I'm brown hair that I'm wearing this shirt. I purposely wore like bright green pants so that I could be like, that's like yeah. my easy, but there's only, there's only six girls. So it's very easy to, you know, pick people out. Um, and so, and there's other patrons of the bar, like it's at a bar. So there's other patrons of the bar that are not involved in it. So it does feel like a natural, cool. like I'm going to the bar. There's not someone that's like time, go to your next, like, there's no one doing that. Um, it's just through a text. So they'll I tell like you, that. okay, Hey, you'll get a text. It's like, Hey, your date's up, go to your next one. And then you get a break round. So like there was 10 minutes that I got to not have to have a date and I could just you know, sit there and kind of chill for a second. Mm-hmm. It was my first time. That's... Dating in America is a wild world. I'm going to give you one of my stand-up comedy bits I've been saying to friends and they're Love like, it. you're right. So it used to be like our grandparents dating was so different. Like in the 1930s, like grandpa would go out with grandma for 11 months and every day he'd be like, I love you. And she'd be like, I love you too. And then after 11 months, he's like, do you think we could have some sex. And she'd be like, whoa, I think things are moving too fast. Flash forward to today, 2023. The first thing you do is have sex with someone. For 11 months, you see them every two to three weeks and you have sex, maybe watch a little Netflix. And then 11 months later, you accidentally say to the woman, I love you. And she goes, whoa, I think things are moving too fast. (laughs) I mean, it's true. It's true. <laughs> it's true. Like people just want all of the pleasure and none of the commitment. And I, I mean, can't I, say I haven't been that person, but it's a weird world we're in, man. It's very it, different. I even think it's weird as someone, my dating life from like 15 to 27 was mm-hmm. so much different than 30 or 27 to 37. Yeah. Last 10 years, I've been pretty much like single and dating and having mm-hmm. situationships as they call it. But we didn't like, I just remember dating seemed easy. Like mm-hmm. back in the day, like you, if you liked someone, you asked them out and then you were dating, you know, mm-hmm. that's kind of how it worked. And now it's just like, I do feel like it's like, oh, we have choice or people have had yeah. Yeah. really bad breakups mm-hmm. and they don't want to experience that again. So they just continue to only go so far in a relationship so that when it gets to the point of like, oh, I might actually be getting vulnerable. I might get hurt. I'm going to, I have another, I can, I can easily jump to this other person and start and just, so people only go as far in a relationship to not have to like fully invest. And that's like the problem with like the technology stuff, right? Oh, totally. Is it like that in other countries too? Like are the apps just as. I think that America's like on a whole nother level, like 10 years ahead of everybody else, because the dating app started here first. We're such a liberal society when it comes to sex. Um, I think we're very like modern society in other countries are like catching up. 
like we're the and other countries are getting americanized and getting more easy mm-hmm. <laughs> getting more turning into a bunch of hoe bags like us but we've been <laughs> doing it for a while like other guys ask me is it true that women will just sleep with you on the first day like in other countries that doesn't happen like maybe the second or the third day but here like i've gone on tinder dates in portland where the woman within like 20 30 minutes just wants to go back to my place and i'm like really like i thought we were going to get to know each other first oh okay well let's do it that's so i actually really love having that the point of view of a man because i always feel like it's like that with men no now women are like that in fact like it used to be like in the 1950s, women were all just together in the locker room. Like I wish w- men wanted something besides just sex, wanted to get to know us. And now it's us men in the locker room being like, I wish women wanted to get to know us and didn't just crave dick all the time. <laughs> I mean, part of me makes like that sort of makes me happy to like that, that the script has flipped. Oh, yeah. But I also because it creates empathy to the situation, right? Because there, it's nice to know that there's men out there that want relationships. But mm-hmm. I think women are so used to just guys wanting sex. As a man, do you feel like after you have sex with a woman, you're disinterested to like um, get it, to know them more? And I would say generally, yes. Okay. I would say generally, yes. Um, I once had an older woman who I was trying to hook up with when I was like 20. A 35-year-old woman said, slow down. What heats up too fast cools down too fast. Mm. And I've really found that to be true. If you get the top tier thing, which is generally sex in today's society, if you get that quick, then there's like no adventure or goal or impetus to keep getting, you know, and then and then it just kind of drops off and you feel like pressure, emotions, feelings. Oh my God. However, on the other side of that, every once in a while, you have sex with someone that the chemistry is so strong that they become like a drug. In yeah. fact, I heard a neuro um, neuroscientist say that the part of your brain that activates like lights up the something cortex or limbus system. I forgot what it's called that they can see it when they scan the brain that lights up when you've been rejected by someone you love is the same place in the brain that lights up when you're addicted to heroin or cocaine and you're not Mm -hmm. getting it. You can be addicted to someone Yep. because it's chemicals. Drugs release chemicals in your brain and sex with someone that you're obsessed with release chemicals in your brain and then that's a problem because if that person doesn't give it to you as much as you want or they're seeing other people or they they ghost on you man it hurts oh yeah it hurts you're they've like one time i went on a date with someone and like before we touched this was in portland but she was from mexico she was visiting portland um as an all pair she was like a nanny in portland for a year And when I just saw her, you know, and getting to know her at first, I wasn't obsessed with her at all. Like I thought she was cute, but didn't really think too much about it. And then once we made love, like I was just hooked. Like when, Mm. when our bodies were together, like my whole, all of my system lit up everything in my body and my chemistry was like, yes. And then when she started seeing other people and she just, to be fair, had gotten out of like a five-year relationship. So she wanted to see date around. Mm-hmm. But that was like hell for me. Mm-hmm. So it's a drug, man. Totally, totally. And I, 
it's so hard because you always want to convince yourself that you'll never let that affect you. Mm-hmm. And then it's just like, wait, how, how come I'm craving this? How come I can't like get it out of my yeah. system? And then you try to be like, no, I'm, I'm going to date other people. And like, Mm. try to because there's this new um I don't know if this is a necessarily new thing but the term that they're using is called circular dating yeah and my business partner gave me the tip and it helped me so much with dating go on a lot of dates with different people and don't zero in on someone too soon yeah yeah because what I had tended to do in the past is I would get so excited after having one to two dates with someone I was really digging and then I would kind of become I would put pressure on that person, like be yeah. really and become over probably a little bit. Are you familiar with attachment styles? Yeah, I've read the book Attached. Yeah. So I was I would become kind of anxiously attached because yeah. in a past long term relationship I had had, I had dated an avoidant person, which made me anxious. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And now I would consider myself a secure attachment. But I do know that you can change depending upon the people that are around you. And so I found circular dating to be this really amazing way to be excited and really explore the fact that there's really cool people out there. But what I found that's hard about it is, well, when do you like decide that you like this one person and like, am I going to scare them off if I choose, you know, it's, Mm. it's still that thing of like, well, when do I decide to zero in on them without scaring them away? You know, that's the hard part about it. Dating should just be fun. And sometimes it feels more stressful than fun. And like, People don't always really tell you if they want to be zeroed in on or not. They might not even know. Yep. Like most dating today is just instant gratification. It's like a buffet. Mm. There's all these tasty foods. Why would you just go back to one? Why would you, wouldn't it be creepy if you went to a buffet and then the restaurant owner was like, you can only eat that one thing though. You're like, well, I thought this was a motherfucking buffet. You know, like, such a good metaphor for modern day dating. Yeah. You're like, like, well, I just had a slice of cheese pizza, but now I'm going to go for some fries with ranch. You know, like, why would I only eat cheese pizza when there's like General Tso's chicken? There's some tabbouleh. Uh, chicken Alfredo. <laughs> I don't know. That was for you because you like Italian guys. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but, but so then people get creeped out when you try to zero in on them. Like you would think like the the old stereotype of women from like the 1950s is like that they wanted commitment. <laughs> but now I think I'm like, oh, she's a girl. Like if I say like, I want something more serious, I want to see her more often, she'll like that. But no, she's also hitting up the buffet. Is and this common? Gets- Do most guys feel this way? As soon as you stop being pleasurable, they're just going to go to the next pleasure drip because yeah. there's infinite in a big city like Portland. You, you'll never run out of options. The buffet though, that's, that is such, that is so good. Let me tell you something else I've been thinking about since the last time we talked that I think I need your help with, with woman, a modern Portland woman's help with, because listen to what guys have to go through. Okay. Yeah. So there's been this me too movement, which there's, which is great. You know, like women, you know, say they don't want to be touched without permission. Right. But then, so I've been on this kick where if I want to kiss someone, because I don't drink, I don't just use alcohol as a way to just like stumble into someone and drink or kiss them, right? Yeah. I ask a woman, like, may I kiss you, right? If I Mm -hmm. feel like we're going that way and get this, they're like, that's weird. I just kind of want you to do it. So Mm -hmm. I'm like, wait, you can't have it both ways, can you? Like you want me to ask for permission to touch you, but then you also just want me to grab you and seize you and be a man. So it's like, there's this double standard right now 
-hmm. not with all women, but with most that with most modern women that they want you, they don't want to be touched or grabbed or seized until they do because the guy's hot enough. Mm. So what yeah. the hell? What sort yeah. of message does it send to the rest of us? I have felt that guys, I can see how that would be really confusing. Um, I, it's so hard because it's like a read the room situation. Like mm-hmm. I remember going on a date with a guy in, we actually like went on a couple of different dates together. And I remember our very first date, it was more like he, he should, I showed the way I invited him into like, kiss me without asking was I sat closer to him. Yeah. Like I, like, you know, I touched my knee to his knee, you know, mm-hmm. like, I, I feel like that is a woman saying, Hey, I, I want you to touch me. A woman kind of yeah. gives body language, but there's also women that could also be like, no, I wasn't yeah. doing that. So it is, it yeah. is a really big contra- I'm telling you, it's confusing to us. Like I've thought times that, Hey, we're good to go. And then later they text me like, that was not cool when you, you know, this or that. I was like, what? Okay. I thought I was reading body language. Like you said, so now yeah. I just straight up explicitly asked, but yeah. almost every time that I explicitly ask girls get weirded out by that too. That's so hard. I mean, I appreciate the consent because consent is always important. The one thing is I do love when a guy, like for me personally, I do love when a guy takes like he, it's like, oh, he knows what, like when you're vibing, I kind of feel like when you're vibing and you kind of are reading it right and your flirting's good, like it's Mm -hmm. like, it just, it's kind of like, oh, this is good. I, I hope he does this. But a guy, you can't expect a guy to know that, though. That's the oh, thing. Oh, no. And most no. guys really don't know how to read the signs as we know. I oft, I almost said earlier when you're like dating men, you never really know what their intentions are. Like this is opening a whole nother can of worms. And I, here we go, podcast world. But I feel like if I was a woman, I would just date other women because guys are so terrible. Well, <laughs> like, I think that women are just as confusing, though, like because we do these things where we have this whole conversation in our head where we expect that guys are just going to know this thing mm-hmm. and they don't. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. cause, cause like, you know, I have friends who are, are les- lesbians and they have their drama is just yeah. so much different yeah, right. than like, I do love the simplicity that men have, you know, I have an idea. Okay. It's going to be a new app. All right. Nobody steal this. This belongs to Pam and myself. <laughs> We're the early We're founders. A new app. Yeah called first date with a questionnaire we need a new name but at the first date everyone has a standard questionnaire that's like okay how do you want to be ghosted on you know like yeah like some people want you to communicate like hey thanks for meeting up with me i didn't really feel any chemistry um i don't even feel like a friend vibe they don't want their feelings hurt they just want to be ghosted on and how about in the app they actually you can just pick that like response yeah. so you don't even have to type yeah. it you can just yeah. click the what ghost yeah. response do you want because then some people are like oh my god i can't believe he broke up with me through text message and other people were like why did he call me and tell me that he could have just sent a text message it's like how am i supposed to know how to break up with you what well, do you like, prefer well i think that it also comes down to we don't we can't read like you're doing what's best for you. And I, what I've noticed most of the time, ghosting tells you more than actually like saying it would. I'm like, oh, they were too cowardly to say this to me. Why yeah. would I want to, why would I, like, I feel like I maybe dodged a bullet. Ghosted on after you've already hooked up. Yes. 
that's then it's like you at least deserve something totally that's a huge insult yeah it's very vulnerable it's you know? like and i'll take it i'll i want enough of you to be in the most intimate place with you but i don't care about you at all to use a few words that's why i've been joking with people i don't have too much expectations of today's women or you know so the minimum that i ask you don't even use words just send a ghost emoji that's i mean that's very fair i <laughs> i remember send telling a ghost emoji and i'll understand I, I have like, actually, I use chat GPT to write, no out, to write out a rejection to a guy. <laughs> and I was like, chat GPT, please, uh, please uh, write like something that sounds like this, but it's kind and respectful. And I took it and I copied and pasted it and sent it to him. Soon you're going to be like, hey, Alexa, put on some, put on some country music and break up with that guy, Robert. <laughs> God, we're gonna have like robots doing doing our our yeah. dirty work. I mean, oh man, it's taking the humanity out of out oh, of things. God. Yeah, you just asked a robot how to break up with someone. Way to go, man! <laughs> well, I mean, if we're gonna get back, you know, being Jetsons, like yeah. Rosie, <laughs> Rosie, can you please go break up with him for me? Yeah, for sure. But be, but be kind about it and like understanding and like do it in a really like and do it in a Spanish accent. Yeah, totally. <laughs> It's, that's the funniest thing that you use chat GPT to break up with people. That's amazing. Oh my God. Oh, did I, you hear, did you hear that there are these apps like BetterHelp and it wasn't BetterHelp, but it was a different app. That's like a therapy app that you text with your therapist. This and is actually this, a commercial for the show. I'm just kidding. Right, right. This is today's sponsor, <laughs> robot therapist. But um, so this app started using chat GPT to to answer people's texts right mm -hmm. and the people when they got the response from their therapist or who they thought was their therapist rated how much they liked the the answer and how it made them feel the chat gpt got higher ratings than trained therapists people preferred what chat gpt had to say to them Oh my gosh, and that my... was just chat GPT three. And now we have chat GPT four just came out this week. So my intro was chat GPT. I like, it was like written oh, by him because yeah. <laughs> I was, I'm actually not a very good writer. I mean, I'm good at the idea that I want, mm -hmm. but it, oh, I can never make it. I just want it to sound better. So like wow. I can write it out and create like That's a block cool. of ice, but I just want it to like, so like, it's almost like I don't oh, need yeah. a copyright, a copy. Yeah. I just need an editor and I don't always yeah. have. An editor, my business partner usually is a really good editor for me, but I have a problem with talking, writing like I talk, uh -huh. right, right, which isn't always the best. Very Man, cool. I wish we had more time, but we're we're kind of running out yeah, of it. Yeah. I do have. So, are you familiar with Esther Perel? No, never heard. Okay, of her. so we okay when you're in town, hopefully you'll come to town soon. Yeah. It'd be good to see you. But you, Corey, and I should play this game. It's a card game by Esther Perel, and it's just uh -huh. you like you all hold seven cards that have questions on them, and then you get to. It's kind of like the same idea of apples to apples, but like you put each put down a card and then the person gets to pick the question that they want to answer. And they're like, just good. It's like good ways to get to know people. Right. And they're just like, some of them are really vulnerable that you can have questions that are for if you're in a relationship. Um, I have a question that I think would be, I'm really interested to hear your answer on because as someone that's done a lot that I admire and has taken action on so many 
creative ventures and just personal things. I think that this is an interesting question to hear an answer for. So we'll do this as kind of our last thing. And then we'll say, we'll say goodbye from there. Does that sound good? Yeah, it sounds good. Okay. What's something that you've always wanted to try, but have been too scared to attempt? Why do you think you feel afraid? And what would it take for you to overcome that fear? Well, it's amazing that you asked that. I'm currently in this process. Um, I've always really wanted to be a stand-up comedian. And and before we got in this call, I, I've been trying to do like an hour a day, like working and memorizing on my material. And um, I realized, my friend, like, you know, that I used to smoke like a fair amount of herb. And I told myself, you know, I'm almost 40 years old. And I'm still haven't like really given it a shot to be a stand-up comedian. I've always said like manana tomorrow, next year, I can't do it for this or that. But I, I was spending like hours every night, like smoking weed, playing video games and getting into other nonsense. So I had time for that. So I quit about 11 months ago because I told myself, if marijuana is holding you back even 5% from giving your gift to the world, then it needs to go. And it was definitely holding me back way more than 5%. So now instead of staying up late, smoking herb and playing Mario Kart with friends and whatever I was, now I go to sleep early. I don't smoke herb. I wake up in the morning and take Ritalin, which I have a prescription for. I'm, I'm, I'm an Adderall bitch. <laughs> yeah, yeah, dude, it's a miracle <laughs> drug. And I get to work on my stand-up comedy and I've written so much. Now I'm in the process of memorizing it. I love that. And so I have been afraid because I'm a perfectionist in my own way. Every, there's different types of perfectionism. Not There's not just one standard. Well, there's, I mean, I'm the one where I like want it to be perfect because sometimes I don't even try. Exactly. So I, I thought if I'm not going to do this all the way, 110%, be perfectly memorized, I won't even perform. But don't let good be the enemy of great. Like you have to start like kind of rusty. Like Chris Rock, before he goes and like has these perfect shows and the big arenas, like he starts on little clubs with pen and pay, or with note cards and, and his jokes kind of fall flat, like, you know, the rough draft and you slowly improve. So um, now I'm putting more energy into just like getting, getting better. I love that because I have always loved your stage presence. I've become a big fan of comedy. I've actually yeah. wanted to, I've been writing, I like writing jokes. I, I mean, even this podcast, I think sometimes the reason I talk fast is I'm fairly nervous about having the attention on me, but I love writing jokes. Like I think up stuff all like things to my everyday. Like I have a whole, I could basically feed you content. Like I could write yeah. for you if you wanted oh, that. Yeah. I'm going to like, use your breaking up with people with chat GPT. Okay, good. <laughs> like I'm happy to write for you. Um, we could become a little traveling circus. Fun. I have a, I have a whole joke about how, um, my dog's a cock block. Oh yeah. I own a dog that like the mm -hmm. average American family has as a dog. So when I go to the dog park, people probably think I'm a mom with like five kids, the white picket yeah. fence. Cause I have a black lab. Yeah, <laughs> like, totally. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I really hope to, I'm excited for you. You can send, please send me like videos. Here's of you. my slightly, my angle is like, like I told you, I go to sleep early and wake up early now because I find I'm so much more productive in what yeah. Sylvia Plath used to call the blue hour, you know, yeah. like 5, 6 a.m. I mean, so because I don't really like comedy clubs that much, like amateur open mic nights, here's why I don't like them. I don't drink. Mm -hmm. I don't like staying up late. 
it's not when I'm funniest, you know, I'm usually tired late at night. I don't like waiting for my chance on the mic. Like I, I'm really anxious when I'm waiting to go up. I just want to start. Yeah. And I honestly, I'm sorry to say it. I don't like a lot of other amateur comedians comedy. I don't want to oh. listen to their sets because some of them are just racist, homophobic. It's painful. Mm -hmm. One time there was a woman like low key, like joking about child abuse. And I'm like not even a very like easily offended person, but I almost stood up and screamed at her like a heckler. Yeah. I was like, that's not cool. Like, and I'm not even a person who gets offended or does that kind of thing. So the main point being that instead of performing at nine or 10 or 11 PM at comedy clubs for five minutes, I do living room sets for friends. Oh, I love that. I and love I'm that. Start, people can book me and bring over a bunch of friends and family. People can leave a donation and I get 45 minutes on the mic instead of five minutes. And you don't I have to listen to anyone who sucks. Oh my gosh, that, that would be so good to pair with a catering company for, mm -hmm. for dinner nights, you know? Yeah, you yeah. Like, so kind of like a pop-up kitchen, I could be pop-up comedy. I love that. Or catered catering, I could be catered comedy. Oh, like, yeah. We, man, we need to just like, yeah. we should, we're, don't steal this idea. I can use software <laughs> like HoneyBook for people to book me. Yeah, you know, I'm thinking about just charging like, 200 bucks and it's going to be a live audio or I'm going to film it for TikTok with all Love my it. cameras and your laughter will be there in the audience you know and you can like tag me on TikTok and I can tag you ending thoughts like one thing I've really learned over the years is it is so painful if you negate your own gift it tears you up inside if you don't share your gift with the universe you do need to make sacrifices. Mm -hmm. You need to sacrifice all of your things that get you high and give you junk food pleasure. Like for me, it was marijuana and just dating and hooking up with lots of women. Like I was just wasting so much energy on that stuff that I wasn't giving my gift to planet earth. But now I've made some sacrifices and I'm excited for you to see my show, which is going to be called Eric English is my stage per person. I love it. Eric oh, English. So anyone who's out here, like this is going to come up. Where can people find you on? Um, my TikTok is Eric English Comedy. Cool. And I'll send you links. Awesome. I'll put it in the show notes for yeah, the I, podcast. I have yet to upload. I'm performing soon. My first shows, but I have tons of material already. Why don't you uh, text me the things that you want me to put I in the will. show notes? Because um, I'd be happy to promote you on this. Um, yeah, but thank you for cool. being on here. And Thanks for tuning in to Never a Dull Friend with my special guest, Eric Dotson. I hope you enjoyed yourself hearing about his uh, insights on cultural differences related to family and dating across Mexico, Europe, and the U.S., as well as his experience studying clowning in Mexico and hosting a cooking show with grandmas. Uh, don't forget to check out uh, his links in the show notes. It's really cool. You can see his um, cooking with grandmas and other adventures along with um, you know, his new comedy venture that he's on. Uh, if you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe and leave me a review. Um, I'll be back soon with more fascinating friends and their stories.